Good afternoon, everyone. I can't, 1230 service is packed out, man. This is awesome, man. Wow. It's because you guys slept late, that's why. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, Braulio, stand up, Braulio. Braulio's here and, and a T. I don't know if T's in the, in the service in Delano. Uh, these guys accompanied me to Jamaica, the island of Jamaica, for a couple of days. We did ministry in Jamaica. We worked with uh, Teen Challenge students, students that were addicted to alcohol and drugs and life-controlling substances. And we went there for five days and we poured into their lives. Um, I spend a couple of days training the leaders that are there. I do leadership training. And then uh, we minister to the men that are in the program in Braulio and T really blessed me so much in Delano. They really worked with the young, young men while I was doing leadership training. And then I get the privilege, go, go ahead to the last slide, I get the privilege of actually um, doing the graduation ceremony for the graduates. And I, I preach that day, speak for the graduates, I've been doing it for years now. And then I get to pray for them and bless them and, and it's just a wonderful thing. If anyone doesn't believe that God exists, go to Ocheria's Teen Challenge and see what God can do with a man who comes in a year before, who is addicted to drugs, crack, cocaine, is violent as anything, and a year later, you look at them, they got white eyes, their, their eyes are clean, their bodies are healthy, and they're serving the living God. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Wow. 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 I want to talk to you about a very difficult subject today, and it may make some people a little uncomfortable, but I really believe with all my heart that we need to hear it. I believe we need to rescue our country. We need to rescue families. We need to rescue young people from the plight of sexual immorality. And um, so I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And we, we've been doing a series entitled Strengthening Your Grip. And if you remember, two weeks ago, we started with looking at what holiness and godliness is and how does a person become godly. Last week, as usual, Pastor Henry came and, and gave us a wonderful message on commitment, strengthening our grip on commitment. And this morning, I want to talk about strengthening our grip on moral purity, purity in our life. And I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 and it says, it is God's will that you should be set apart or sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Now notice what the Lord says after that. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit. Now I want to tell you today that I am really passionate about preaching this message because I believe that Paul the Apostle tells us as Christians that we should learn how to control our bodies. 
that we should learn how to control our sexual appetites. That Paul the Apostle tells the church that we should not defraud our brothers or sisters and that when we have premarital sex or sex out of marriage, we're ripping somebody off. We're stealing something that belongs to them. We're stealing their purity. We're stealing their conscience. We're stealing their close, intimate walk with God. And Paul the Apostle says, you need to learn how to control your body so that you don't rip somebody off. You don't take what belongs to them and take what belongs to God. Because the Bible says that our body doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to God. We're bought with a price, therefore honor God with our sexuality. Now, I got to tell you that I'm real passionate about this because I'm seeing so many families that are being ripped apart because of sexual infidelity. And I believe that God wants to do something new. He's raising up a generation of young people who know their purity. He's raising up a generation of young ladies and young men who will say, you know what, not everyone's doing it. Not everyone has to do it. I can control my sexual appetite. I'm not an animal. I am created in God's image. And I can say no because the grace of God has taught me how to say no to those things. I can keep myself from my husband or my wife. Somebody say amen. Now the truth is that all you have to do is flip through the channels. A boring journey through flipping through the channels. Isn't it amazing that we have a gazillion channels today on everything on TV that you can think of and it's still very boring. Did you ever notice you can flip through the channel and you think, why am I even paying for this? There's, there's nothing on TV. I can't wait for baseball season to come again. But the truth is that our world seems to be saturated. It seems to be saturated with all kinds of different things when it comes to sexual appetites in our life. The truth is our world seems to want more and more and it's never enough. Nothing ever satisfies and everything and anything goes today. The sad thing is that the church has not gone unscathed when it comes to the onslaught of sexual images all around us. In fact, the truth is everywhere we look, we live in a sex, sex, sex world in which everywhere we look, I can't even go to the mall anymore because if I go to the mall, there's Victoria's Secret. And let me tell you something, that is soft pornography. Why do I want to see women in their underwears? Come on, somebody. And you know, today it's become more and more acceptable. You know, I went to the mall, to Roosevelt Field, and one day I was so angry. I got to tell you, I was angry for my kids. I was angry for other kids. I was angry for our society that there is a Mark Echo store, and they had nudity right outside. I went into the store, and I said, I want to tell you something. I will never shop in this store. I said, until you get that stuff off, I will never. I went down to security, and I said, you, you need to do something about this. And I, I don't know, last time I checked, there wasn't anything there. But we, where is the outcry of the church where is the outcry of the godly who say we just don't want to see this anymore we don't want to see it on TV we don't want to see it in ads we don't want to see it on billboards we don't want to see it on buses and we don't want to see it in our home because there is an onslaught of sexuality all around us and the church is caught in the bombardment of sexual uh, images all around us and unfortunately we have not gone unscathed in a poll of a thousand respondents to a magazine called Christianity Today, people were polled and they said that 80 or more percent of men have looked at pornography in the last year. 
In August of 2000, a survey of this magazine showed us that 60% of Christian men have sought out some form of pornography. 25% of married men have had an affair since becoming a Christian. That means one out of four men in the church have been unfaithful to their wife. Let me say that again. One out of four men have been unfaithful to their wives. That's, that's, that's a shattering statistic. And this leads us to the inescapable conclusion that the church is struggling to regain its grip on moral purity. Ninety-one percent of men raised in a Christian home were exposed to pornography when they were growing up. That's compared to the 98% of men that were not Christians that were, were exposed to pornography as they were growing up as children. So the church is losing its moral grip on sexuality. The church is struggling itself with its convictions when it comes to faithfulness in the area of sexual purity. And it's no wonder that we have lost our grip on the presence of God. That we have lost our grip on holiness. That we have lost our grip on the things that God calls us to do. It's no wonder that so many of our young people are walking away. They have rejected our message. And it's no wonder that we're losing our witness in our communities. Listen to me, my friend. We must never give up. And we must never give in to the lie that a little sex outside of marriage is right. That it's okay. That it's acceptable. Come on, somebody. Say amen. You see, Paul the Apostle says that sexual immorality is so damaging to a young person, to a marriage, to even, uh, even us that are adults now, that he says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity. Why? Because sexual sin will always leave us lusting for more and create a sense of guilt in our lives and condemnation that will leave us feeling distant and away from God. Now I want to tell you something. God will never ever stop loving you. But the truth is, when we're involved in sexual sin, it creates such guilt in our lives because we know that the Holy Spirit tells us to be pure and to be holy. And why be pure and holy? Let me tell you something. Obviously, there are some dangers of not being pure and holy. But let me tell you the benefits of being pure and holy. When you're pure and holy, when you're walking before the Lord, when you're doing what is right, then let me tell you something. You feel the presence of Almighty God. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you're walking sexually pure in your life, you have a clean conscience. You feel good. You feel good because you know that God is pleased with you. You feel good because you know that you're keeping yourself pure. That you're keeping that which God has entrusted unto you. The very important thing of your life is your sexual purity and you're keeping it. You're waiting. You're not going to want to rip anybody off. You want to give your husband, you want to give your wife what rightfully is devoted and what rightfully they deserve in their life. And that is a clean body, a holy person. Somebody say amen. But he says, but amongst you there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Why? Because it leaves us feeling guilty. I cannot tell you how many marriages have been shattered. How many marriages have been destroyed simply from internet pornography. 
the young people who have walked away from the church because somebody told them that they can't control themselves. They were lied and they, 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 they were lied to and they bought into the lie that it wouldn't hurt them. They, they bought into the lie that it wouldn't harm their life, that it wouldn't keep them from really being close to God. And as a result of that, they've walked away from God even though God loves them, even though God wants to restore them, even though God wants to wrap His arms around them. They've walked away from the church because the guilt is too much. The guilt is too painful in their life. I want you to know if you fell sexually, God is a wonderful God. He's a holy and righteous God, but He's a loving God and you can come back home and you can say Father, forgive me for I have sinned and God will wrap His arms around you and He'll clean your heart and He'll make you a pure virgin in your heart once again. Somebody, hallelujah, His mercies are new every day, glory to God. We can forget what is behind and we can press on because we've got a loving God, a merciful God. Somebody say Amen. Listen to me. Sexual sin is easily the biggest struggle for every person in this room today. You say, I don't struggle with it. Come on, friends. Jesus said if a man looks at another woman and lusts in his heart, he's already committed adultery. There's a lot of adultery going on. If a woman looks at a man and starts to wonder, maybe it's better with him. My husband doesn't love me. My husband really doesn't care about me. My husband doesn't spend time with me. What would it be like if I was with that person? The Bible says if a woman looks at a man and lusts in her heart, she's already committed adultery with that person. And why is that important to understand? Because God wants to look at the heart of the matter. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. It's our heart that needs to be cleansed. It's our lives that need to be cleansed from the inside out. And every one of us in this room, we need the power and mercy of God in our life. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I don't care if you preach a sermon. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're a bishop. I don't care if you're the Pope of all the world. I want to tell you something. Every man and every woman struggles in some area of their life when it comes to sexual immorality. Here's what the Bible says about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has seized you except that is common to all men. Welcome to the human race. And God though is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now listen to me. You might be here today and you might say, well, I'm not really struggling with that today. You will at some point in your life. It will come. At one point in your life, you will struggle. You will be confronted. You will be tempted with sexual immorality in your life. There is enough data and enough statistics to say that every human being at one point in their life, they will have to confront this temptation. But the Bible says, God is faithful. That He will not allow us to be tempted above what we can handle. But with every temptation, He will give us a way to escape. Sometimes it's running. Sometimes it's standing up and fighting. Sometimes it's calling a Christian brother. Sometimes it's calling a Christian mother or father. Sometimes it's saying, I can't do it all by myself. God, I need your strength. But every one of us will face that temptation. And when we do, God says, I am able to keep you from falling. You don't have to do it. You don't have to fall into sin. Not everyone is doing it. Thank God. I can look at you straight in your face and I can tell you that there's young men and young women that are keeping themselves pure. I had young men in my youth group who told me, you know, when he, they started dating girls, 
girls. They said, we don't even kiss. I don't even kiss the girl. I, I had a young man who, who grew up in my youth group and he said to me, Pastor Steve, I will not hug my, my fiance. I will not kiss my fiance because I know myself. I don't trust myself. We're going to wait until the day we get married. And they walked down this aisle and they got married in front of God and they were pure and holy in the sight of the Lord. And as a result of that, their marriage is blessed, their children are blessed, and they're walking closely with God. I can't tell you that everyone does that and I can't tell you that everyone stays that pure and holy. But I can tell you this, that you can stay pure and holy in your heart and in your mind if you put your mind to it and you ask the Lord to give you strength and power and you put accountability partners in your life and you put the word of God in your heart because the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against and you turn away from those things that are going to harm your life. God will keep you. God is big enough. God is strong enough. His grace is powerful enough to keep you pure and holy till the day you get married. Somebody say amen. Young lady, you don't have to fall into the trap of feeling pressured into giving away which is sacred and holy in your life. You don't have to give away the beauty of your virginity to someone who isn't willing to wait until you get married. Listen to me. That young man comes and tells you that you don't love him unless you have sex with him. Listen, throw him out of the house. He's a bum. And if he can't control himself, get a big cold bucket of water and throw it on him. Glory to God. You don't have to give in to the allurement of the media. You don't have to put yourself in a difficult situation that will leave you feeling distant from God and those who love you the most. Husband, you don't have to give in to the, impulse, the impulses of your passions and singles. You don't have to give in to the temptations of living in a single world. Why? Because God's Word tells us that at the point of our greatest temptation, He'll give us strength and power. He'll give us the ability to withstand if we hide God's word in our heart and we protect ourselves from situations and we pray. And let me tell you, friends, a lots of prayer. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you would not enter into temptation. Oh, are you going to have to hide God's word? Yes. Are you going to have to have accountability? Yes. Are you going to have to pray? Yes. You're going to have to pray a lot. But you can overcome sexual sin in your life. And the reward of that, my friend, is a clean heart. It's a clear conscience. It's great relationships with God. It's great relationships with the people around you. Listen, sexual sin makes you selfish. You're only thinking about yourself. You're only thinking about your desires. You're not thinking about the other person. But when you are pure in your life, you will have a great relationship with God. You will have a great relationship with yourself. You will have a great relationship with others and you will have a great relationship not only with other people in your life but you will have a great relationship with the person that you marry in the future. You'll have a godly heritage. You'll be able to pass it on to your kids and you'll have a strong witness and you'll be able to hear God say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Now I have to tell you that the Bible is filled with stories of men and women who have done great things for God. But the Bible doesn't blush at all. In fact, the Bible gives us stories of men who have also fallen, who have failed God. If you want to look at a story of a, a fallen soldier, someone who had great promise, read the story of Samson and how he gave up his inheritance. Read the story of Esau. Read the story of Jacob. 
Read the story of Moses as Moses prays and cries out to God and, and we see Moses doing great things for God. These are stories of great men who have done great things, but we also have stories in the Bible of people that have fallen and really, really destroyed their reputation. There's a young man in the Bible who I, I, I love dearly as I read the, the scriptures and you see how this young man writes so many of the Psalms. His name is David. David is a man after God's own heart. David has a good heart. He has a strong heart. David is a giant killer. David gives us some of the greatest psalms that we could ever read. Psalms like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. Wow, incredible psalms. One thing I ask of the Lord, and one thing I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His mercy endures forever. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name, and forget not all of His benefits. A hundred and fifty psalms, and so many of them were written by King David. King David was a mighty man of God. King David gives us psalms that encourage is the weak. He gives us psalms that strengthen the feeble. He gives hope to the hopeless. He gives guidance to the weary. He gives focus to the confused. Yet even David, even David, a man after God's own heart, finds himself dealing with the cruel consequences of his own actions as he allows himself to fall into sexual sin. He has to deal with the consequences of a blemished name. Of a, of a family that was pulled apart and destroyed. And he has to deal with the consequences of the great sorrow. Sorrow upon sorrow because of his one act of sin that he committed with a young lady named Bathsheba. But David had some kinks in his armor way before he ever committed adultery with Bathsheba. The Bible tells us that, that David was a great man. He was a lover of God. And if we look at his story, we find that David goes from a great man of God, a place of incredible, incredible dignity. David was at the, the summit of his brilliant career. He comes into that place of becoming a, a king. And he's one of the most famous men in all of the scriptures. From his childhood, David loved God with all of his heart as a teenager. He slaughters a giant. In fact, David is chosen because of his pure heart as Samuel comes into Jesse's house and he's looking for the next king. And the Bible says that Jesse looks at the first son, the oldest son, and he says, surely this is the next king of Israel. And God says, no, man looks at the outer, God looks at the heart. And after he goes through all the sons, he says, is there any other son in the house? And Jesse said, oh, there's just one more son. And he's out in the field with the sheep. And Samuel says, go send for David. And David walks into the house. And as David walks into the house, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Samuel. And God says to Samuel, this is the man. Why? Because I found the man after my own heart. I found the young man who loves me. I found the young man that's pure and holy on the inside. He's not a afraid of man and he can kill giants in his life and under David's godly leadership Israel flourishes and grow and the people of God they're so close to God and they worship God and he has passion and obedience to God David is a man with great charisma 
But the greatest part of David was is that he had such a soft and sensitive heart towards God. He knew God like no one else knew God. He knew how to get into the presence of God and feel the presence of God. And when he felt the presence of God, he'd write these incredible psalms about the love of God, the mercy of God. He'd write about the closeness, the, inti the intimacy that he shared with God. And how does this great man of God go from a great, great servant of the Lord to a man who's a degenerate? Let me, let me just say this to you. There was one point in his life before he repented of his sin that he was backslidden away from the Lord. He writes about that in Psalms 51. He writes about that in one of the Psalms where he says that, God, when I was away from you, your hand was so heavy upon my, my, my shoulder, upon me, that, that I walked around in depression. I walked around in despair. Friend, when you fall into sin, when you're living in sin, you get a little more distant, a little more away from the Lord, and then your life starts to fall into depression, and you don't know why, and it's because you're not walking closely to the Lord. You feel that guilt, you feel that condemnation, and you move further and further away from the Lord, and then depression starts to set in, anxiety starts to set in. But where did it start? It looked like King David was doing well. He was a godly man. He was on top of his game. He was on top of the world. But David was vulnerable. And it started way before he jumped in bed with Bathsheba. Where does it start? It started with becoming desensitized. He was desensitized. What does the word desensitized mean? It means you don't feel any longer. It means you're having a hard time being sensitive. When you're sensitive to something, you listen. When you're sensitive to the voice of God, you hear that whisper. When you're sensitive to God, all God has to do is whisper and you hear His voice. When you're sensitive to God, all God has to do is speak and you listen so clearly. But when you're desensitized, you can't hear the voice of God and you don't respond like you once responded to God. And David is on that journey of being desensitized by the things in his life, those things that he allowed to come into his life. You see, it was acceptable in those days for a man to have many wives. I know some guys in this room are like, man, should have lived back then. And it was, accept it was very acceptable to have many wives back in those days, but not for a king not for a godly man. David was warned by God. David was commanded by God to have one wife. David was commanded by God not to store up gold for himself, many horses and many wives. But David, instead of obeying God way back when he was a young king, he disobeyed God. And little by little, he became desensitized to the voice of the Spirit. Notice what it said in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 13. And after he left Hebron, David took more concubines. That's not an animal. It's not a porcupine. It's a concubine. Those are women that sleep with men. David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and more sons and daughters were born to him. This is a side note to his kingship. He, was, he became king when he was 30 years old. He's a young man. I was 30 when I became the pastor. Wow! A good, wonderful five years have gone by. Unbelievable. Why is that so funny? 
All right, all right, for the visitors that are here, I am lying. I am 36. <laughs> but as a side note, it says David. David becomes king at 30. You know, there are some things that we read in the scriptures and we kind of, we gloss over and we don't realize the consequences of a person's action. It says, and David became king at 30. And oh, by the way, David took more concubines and more wives. But in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God warned David. God warned the people of Israel. God warned the leaders of Israel. Do not have more than one wife. And yet David disobeyed the Lord. And as a result of that, he opened the door. He opened the door of sin in his life. Paul the Apostle said there might, there might be things in society that seem legal. Paul the Apostle said there might be freedoms, seeming freedoms in a Christian's life, but it's not beneficial. He said if it makes me fall, if it makes me stumble, if it makes my brother or sister stumble, I will not do it. He said, there is no freedom in my life that will get a hold of me and cause me to sin against God. He said it might be legal, but it's not beneficial. Maybe it might be legal for some of us to spend the long hours watching movies that keep on reinforcing premarital sex or extramarital sex or homosexuality. It seems like everyone else is doing it. Our society is doing it. We're embracing it today. So it's okay to keep on watching these movies that keep on reinforcing sex out of marriage. It's legal. It's okay because even Christians are watching these movies today. It's the uncensored times, the unaccountable use of the internet. It's legal. It will take your son and daughter to places that they ought not to go. It's the unaccountable time on our smart devices, on our phones, in which we can download some things that are so dangerous to us. It's all legal. It seems to be all acceptable in our society, but it's taking us down. Dr. Eon Kenner, he's actually a sex therapist. He is not a Christian. Listen what he says about our society today. He said, while the movie Social Network may win an Oscar, he said, Facebook is creating real-life dramas that lead to anything but Hollywood happiness. In the last couple of years, I've seen scores of relationships destroyed by what I call Facebook bombs. Blasts from the past that leave a relationship shattered to pieces. What he's talking about is some woman now that is in her 50s and she wants to go back in her life and find that childhood sweetheart that she romanticizes about and fantasizes because now she's stuck with this guy that doesn't love her. She's stuck with this guy that doesn't pay attention and now she wants to go back to when she was 17 and she wants to get on the internet and find this young man because you know what? Nothing's the same when you're 17 and you're 50. Come on somewhere. No relationship's the same when you're 17 and when you're 15. Come on. Or when you're 17 or when you're 50 and marriages are being broken up because people are going back on the internet now you say is it wrong to go on Facebook no I go on Facebook all the time I'm on Facebook every day and I'm going to tell you why I'm on Facebook every day. Because I want to see what the young people are saying. I want to see what the young people are doing. I want to be able to connect with people and find out what's going on in their life. And there are many times I'll see a young person that's not walking with the Lord now. And I'm seeing the language. And I'm seeing the way they're turning away from the Lord. And I will stop and get on my knees and pray for that young person. And I will send them a Facebook and tell them God loves you. God cares about you. It's my way of being able to reach out to that person and love them. But let me tell you something. 
We've got to be careful with the socially accepted things around us that are causing us to fall into sin. The biggest users of the internet when it comes to pornography are teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17. Let me say that again. The biggest users of internet pornography are teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17. It's the unaccountable social encounters with the opposite sex in places that they should not go that are causing them to fall today. I want to encourage you to come out. If you're a parent, we're going to feed you on March the 20th. And we're going to have access to an organization that's going to come in. And when you listen and when you see and when you hear the things that they're going to tell you, your eyeballs are going to pop out of your head. But they're going to give you the tools that you need to help your children to stay safe from all of the things that are seducing them. So David had a kink in his armor. He became desensitized. Friends, let me tell you something. We are living in a world where the church is being tempted to become more and more desensitized to the things around us. The things that once convicted us. The things that once spoke to us. The things that once spoke to our hearts and our spirits. We're now accepting into the church because everyone else is doing it. Number two. The second flaw that David had was he relaxed at the wrong time. He relaxed at the wrong time. He let down his guard. I want you to notice again, if you would, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David let down his guard. Listen to me. There's a time to rest and there's a time to fight. Men, there's a time to rest and there's a time to fight. There's a time to Sabbath and there's a time to stand up for your family. There's a time to stand up for your children. There's a time to stand up for your marriage. There's a time to stand up against the wild and schemes of the enemy. Why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and wickedness in high places. Therefore, we ought to put on the full armor of God that we would be able to stand against the schemes and the wiles of the enemy. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to put on the belt of truth. We need to take up the sword of the Spirit. We need to know when it's time for war and I'm telling you today it's time for war it's not a time to rest it's not a time to get lazy it's not a time to be on the rooftop while our kids are being tempted and uh, and we're seeing society all around us pulling us down it's a time for war men it's a time to say I will not let my family be destroyed but I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna do warfare for my family women I'm telling you right now it's not a time to get lazy in the word it's not a time to get lazy in prayer but God is raising up wives uh, that know that their husband are going to go through tough times in their life and they're going to be tempted sorely but the wives are going to stand up uh, they're going to get on their knees uh, and they're going to cry out to God and they're going to say I've got my husband's back somebody say amen and unfortunately the church has become lazy in prayer We've become lazy in the word. We've become lazy when it comes to the things of war. And they're taking our children out. The enemy's taking our husbands and our wives out. There's a time to rest. And there's a time to stand up and fight. David, he failed. In the springtime, 
when kings usually go out to war, David sent somebody else in his place. Dad, you can't send your friend in your place to protect your family. Husband, you can't send your best friend in your place to pray for your marriage. You have to do it yourself. And David finds himself now on the rooftop. And the Bible says that while he's on the rooftop, he had another flaw. See, David didn't know how to turn away. I call it fixation. Relaxation to fixation. Desensitized to now relaxation to fixation. Now David's on that roof and he looks down and what does he see? He sees a beautiful woman. What should have David done at that moment? What should have David done at that moment? Let me tell you something, men. The Bible says a man cannot put hot coals to his chest without getting burned. A man cannot find himself in a compromising situation with a woman without getting burned. I don't care who you are in this room. A man cannot find himself in a sexual situation. A young person, a teenager, a young man, a young lady cannot put themselves in a situation without being burned. Oh, I, I hear people say all the time, I'm strong enough. Well, since when you became such a great saint, such a powerful saint, that you have left society and humanity to become a superhuman person Paul the Apostle tells us no temptation has seized us that is not common to all men to all men and so David turns this glance into a fixation instead of turning away David turn away David it's time to run David, it's time not to give a second glance. No opportunity to fantasize. David, go inside. David, shut the door. Give no opportunity to the enemy. Don't get caught up by her beauty. Stop looking and start running. David, don't play with fire. But David went from a man after God's own heart to a murderer, a liar an adulterer because he chose instead of turning away he looked and fixed his eyes his gaze upon that beautiful woman and fixation turned into rationalization David began to rationalize David said who is that woman and what does one of his officials tell him David listen to me David look at me look at me look at me David this woman, she's the wife of Uriah, David. He's one of your commanders, David. David, look at me. Listen to me, David. David, she is the daughter of a very influential person in the kingdom. David, look at me. You're going the wrong way. And David had to rationalize. He had to. David had to have spoken to his own spirit and rationalized his behavior. Why? Because David is a man after God's own heart. David is a lover of God. David is filled with the Holy Spirit. David reads the Word of God. David goes to church. David's been on his knees weeping and crying out to God. God, use me. 
And how does David go from a man of God to a place where he's a murderer, a liar, and an adulterer? There had to be some rationalization going on. Well, it's not that bad. Nobody will find out. After all, I'm not happy. I only got 400 wives. You see, here's what happens when we begin to rationalize. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, listen to me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he gave his life for the Lord during the German occupation. He writes this, listen, listen to me, look at me as I close. He writes, I have observed that when lust takes over, when a passion takes over, a man begins to rationalize. And at that moment, he loses all sense of reality. He loses all sense of reality. He can no longer see the consequences of his sin. He can no longer see the consequences of his actions. And he loses all sense of reality. And at that moment, Satan does not fill his heart with a hatred towards God. He fills his heart with a forgetfulness of God. He doesn't fill him with a hatred towards God. He fills him with a forgetfulness of God's presence, of God's call upon his life, of God's call upon his family, of God's faithfulness and his love for him. Listen to me. When you are in the grip of lust, reality fades. The longer David looked, the harder it was to see God. The longer David looked, the harder it was to see his kingly duty. The longer David looked, the harder it was to see his divine mission and call in life. The longer he looked, the harder it was to see the consequences of his actions. Men, turn and run. Don't stare. The longer you stare, the longer you stay, the harder it will be to see God. The harder you stare, and the longer you stay, the harder it will be to see your calling and the consequences of your sin. David began to rationalize. Sin will always be conceived in the heart of rationalization. And sin, sexual sin, look at me, will always take you to a place that you don't want to go and keep you there a lot longer than you want to stay. Because it goes from rationalization to degeneration. Let me tell you the end of the story. I've alluded to it a few times. But let me tell you as I close the end of the story. David is a lover of God. David is a man after God's own heart. But David gets caught in something that's even bitter, bigger than himself. He starts to weave a web of deception. He sleeps with the woman. The woman sends word back to David. David, David, I thought it was going to be a one-night affair. David, I, I thought it was just going to be a flame. But now I'm pregnant. What am I going to do, David? David, what am I going to do? My husband's going to find out about it. David says, instead of falling before God and repenting of his sin, David says, bring Uriah to me, her husband. Call for Uriah. Get him off the battlefield. 
And David brings Uriah to his own palace. And he says, Uriah, you've been working way too hard. You need to take some rest. You need a vacation, a long vacation. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, here's my visa card. David, take your wife out for a little date. In fact, take her out for a week. It's on me. And Uriah, take your wife out and spoil her and then sleep with her. Because David wanted Uriah to think it was his baby. So no one would ever find out. Friends, let me tell you something. God loves you so much. God cares about you so much that your sin will find you out. God loves you so much that He will expose your sin. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. He may not be next month. But God loves you so much. God loved David so much. God heard the cry of David so long. God, I want to be a man after your own heart. God, I want to love you. One thing I desire, one thing I ask God, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the holiness of God. And God hears the cry of David. And God says, David, I'm going to expose you. Because if I don't expose you, you're going to destroy your life and your family. But David wants to hide it. Uriah will not sleep with his wife. So David calls Joab and says to Joab, the guy, he doesn't want to go home. He doesn't want to sleep with his wife because he knows he's supposed to be at war. And warriors don't do that while they're at war. So David said, Joab, take Uriah and put him on the front line. Put him where the fiercest fighting is. And we'll just pretend he's one of the best fighters. And just put him right up there so that he can perish. And word comes back to David. David, the job is done. The Italian job is done. And David feels to himself, you know what? It's covered. No one will find out. And now David is not only an adulterer, he's a murderer. And he's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's a liar. From godly man to degenerate. And let me tell you something. A drunken Uriah is better than a degenerate old man who has gone from the heights of a great career to now a liar and a thief. How did someone get to that place in his life? Now, the story goes on where David is exposed by Nathan, the prophet. Nathan says, you're the man, David. And David falls to his knees and he repents of his sin. Listen to me. Look at me. I'm telling you that God is a merciful God. God is a loving God. And He will forgive us. But there will be damage that is done to our reputation, to the reputation of the kingdom, and to our family that sometimes will be irreparable. And now David loses his son because of his sin. David's wonderful son Absalom becomes bitter and angry and he takes David's own concubines, David's own wives and sleeps with him because what a leader does in private, what a leader does in moderation, his followers and so often his children do in excess. And now David dies, a heartbroken man. 
as one of his daughters are raped by one of his half-sons. If David knew the consequences for one moment when he stared at that woman, if David could have fast-forwarded his life as an old man heartbroken, as his son Absalom is hanging dead on a tree, as his son Ammon is dead because Absalom killed him, I wonder, would he have turned away and ran and shut the door? I always, I always cry to God and say, God, Lord, you know that I'm a man susceptible to temptation. Please show me the consequences of my sin, God. Please show me the consequences of my sin. And so today, this has been a hard message, but I'm here to tell you that God wants to do a great work in our life don't trade your blessing for a cheap disguise of something the world calls wonderful sex because God has a plan for your life God has the right person God has the right man God has the right woman God has the right situation the right relationship that will always make you feel like this is the most wonderful thing in the whole world and there's no guilt associated because I'm married to this man and I love him with all my heart and we've given ourselves in marriage book the two shall become one flesh and God says be fruitful and have fun I want you to bow your heads right now, close your eyes for a moment. As I close, maybe you're here today in this room. And you know what I'm talking about, the bombardment of sexual impurity and immorality is all around us. And you know the bombardment of it, but you, you want to keep yourself holy and pure. You want to walk before your God with a clean conscience before the Lord. You're human, you are susceptible to sin, and you know that, but you want to keep yourself pure and holy. And you know the only way you could do that is not to desensitize yourself, not to rationalize, not to focus on things you ought not to be seeing and looking at, not to fantasize about things, not to get to the point in your life where you're distant and away from the Lord, and you say, I want to be holy. I want to love my wife. I want to love my husband. I want to love God with all my heart. And I'm going to turn away. I want to make a vow before God that I'm going to stay pure and holy. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Say, God, in a world that is impure, God, I want to do it the right way, God. Lord, in, the, in a world that offers cheap everything, in a world that offers me cheap, cheap counterfeits instead of the real thing. I want the real thing, God. I'm running after the real thing. If that's you today, if you're a young person and say, I want to live for God. I struggle all around me. I see that there are people all around me that are falling. But I want to stand firm. And I'm going to do the right thing. Then the first place you need to go, close your eyes right now. The first place you need to ask yourself the hard questions. You need to ask yourself the hard questions. Am I beginning to get desensitized? Do I need to unplug the internet? Do I need to unplug my phone? Do I need to get off of Facebook? Whatever it's going to take, God. God, I used to hear your voice so clearly. I used to hear the convicting voice of the Spirit. But now I'm becoming desensitized. 
I'm starting to rationalize. Everyone else is doing it. But I need to fall before you, God, and say, God, forgive me, God. I don't want my heart to grow hard. I don't want my heart to grow cold, God. I want to stay soft and sensitive because my relationship with you is more important than anything else. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you in a moment to make a move to the altar of God and say, God, I place my sexuality at the foot of the cross. I place all of my passions at the foot of the cross. And I say, God, you're, my, you're mine and I am yours. God, my body belongs to you, God. I'm bought with a price. And I want to honor my, my God with my body. Maybe you're here, you say, Pastor Steve, not only have I been desensitized, but but I need to repent. I need to ask God to forgive me and cleanse my heart again. Here's the, here's the promise that God gives you. If you walk in the light as He is in the light, then He will purify you by His precious blood. If you confess your sins, He will be faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God wants to clean you today. He wants to clean your mind. He wants to clean your heart. And do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Brothers, see that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving, rationalizing heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. For today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, today, if you hear the voice of the Spirit, respond today and say God I'm listening to you God I'm hearing you God today make a covenant with your eyes that you will not sin against God today cut off that unhealthy relationship today get a filter for your computer today tell your spouse you need help today reach out to somebody reach out to an accountability partner and say I don't want to fall I don't want to fail God I want you to hold me accountable today don't harden your voice don't harden your heart to the voice of the Lord because today is a day of salvation. You're standing, every one of you in this room. You say, I want to be pure in an impure world. I want you to get out of your seat right now. We're going to make a covenant before God. And come out right now, every one of you say, I'm going to make a covenant before the Lord. Come, 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 come. I want to be holy and right before the Lord. I'm making a covenant before God. Come on, get out of your seat right now. Say, God, I don't want my heart to be hardened, God, by the sin and the deceitfulness of this world, God. I'm making a covenant with God. I'm coming before the Lord, and I'm asking God to give me strength to stay pure. Come on, get out of your seat right now. Get out of your seat right now. Say, God, I want to stay pure and holy before you, God. I'm making a covenant. How many young people that we have in this room today? How many young people do we have in this room today? You say, Pastor Steve, it's all around me. But I know that God can give me strength to be pure and holy. I want to save myself. Now let me tell you, maybe you haven't saved yourself. I want to tell you something. God can forgive you. God can wash you and make you clean. You say, you know what? I want to be pure and holy before the living God. I want you to get out of your seat. How many teenagers are here? You say, you know what, Pastor? I'm going to make a covenant with God. Get out of your seat right now. Maybe you're a single adult here today. You say, Pastor Steve, you don't know how hard it is to be single. I, I understand. I'm not single. I haven't been single for a very long time. But I do know what it is to be tempted. It's the same temptation. It's got a different name, but it's got the same power. It's got a different name, but it's just as seductive. It's just as pulling. 
You say, Pastor Steve, I want to be a holy and righteous single. I want to keep myself pure until the day that God sends somebody in my life. I don't care if you're 20. I don't care if you're 50 or 60. I want you to get out of your seat right now and come. I want to pray a prayer of agreement with you. Come on. You're single. Come on up. Come on out of your seat right now. Come on. 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 Amen. Let me see your hands if you're a mother. If you're a mother or a father in this room and you have children in this room, I want you to raise your hand right now. Today, we're going to pray for our children. We're going to stand in the gap for our children. If you're a mother in this room, you're a father in this room, I want you to get out of your seat and come up to this altar and stand in for your children and pray for your children that God would keep them pure. Come on, get out of your seat right now. Come on. How many of you in this room, you are grandparents. You've got a son or a daughter that has children. You've got grandchildren. Friends, you'll never know the struggle that they go through in their life. You'll never know the temptation that they go in their life. But it's time. It's high time that the church of Jesus Christ rises up and say, we will be pure. We will be holy. We will be righteous. We'll not let the enemy take our children, take our grandchildren, and steal our heart away by the pleasures of this world. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. But among you, you must learn how to train yourself to be godly, to get the accountability that you need, to fill your heart with the Word, to fill your heart with prayer, and put on the full armor of God, so that you might know how to handle the passions of your life, so that you don't defraud your brother or sister in this way. I want you to raise your hands right now, everybody in this place. This holy moment. This is a very holy moment. A very sacred moment. A very sacred moment. I want you to talk to God right now. I want you to tell Him your struggle. Tell Him your struggle. Whisper it to the Lord. Say, God, I'm a husband. Sometimes I struggle looking at that woman. I struggle with fantasizing. Come on, tell him, whisper. Don't say it too loud. Your wife might be right there. She'll fight. She'll belt. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm a young person. I'm a teenager. I'm a teenager. I'm a young boy. And Pastor Steve, everyone in my school is doing it. Everything has become acceptable. Everything and anything. Homosexuality is not only acceptable today, but it's in fashion. It's in style today. Pastor Steve, you don't know the pressure, the temptation that's all around me. Yes, I do. I grew up in your world. It might be a whole lot harder today, but the Bible says where sin abounds, grace doth more abound. God's grace is there. I'm a young lady. Pastor Steve, you don't know the pressure my boyfriend is putting on me. You don't know the pressure that my friends are putting on me. I might not know, but God knows, God sees, God hears. I want you to talk to God. Tell Him your heart. Tell Him what you feel. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I'm a pastor. And just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm not human, Father. God, there are times when the battle rages, God. Lord, I thank you, God. Your grace is sufficient, God. Your grace is sufficient, God. 
one day at a time, one step at a time, as I say no to sin, and I say yes to God. God, you'll keep me pure for the rest of my life, one day at a time. God, as I say no to that sexual temptation, one, one temptation at a time, you're going to make me stronger. And you're going to give me the strength to overcome. Hallelujah. Now I want you to pray this prayer with me if you mean it. Only if you mean it in this room. This is what I'm going to pray. And this is the covenant that you're going to make with God today. Better not make a covenant than break it. That's what God says. But this is the covenant we're going to pray today. We're going to say, God, you're so good. And you're so merciful, Lord, that even when I sin, you forgive me, God. But God, I thank you that you can give me strength to stay pure in my thought life, in my home life. Lord, I thank you that you give me the strength, Lord God, to do what you want me to do. I will not rationalize. I will not allow my heart to be desensitized. Lord Jesus, and I will trust you one day at a time as I commit my life to purity and holiness. If you want to pray that prayer with me, come join me on this journey right now. Father, come on, say, Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're infinitely committed to me. And even when I sin, you forgive me. You wash me clean. Daddy, wrap your arms around me. You know I love you. You know I love your ways. But sometimes the temptation is great. Help me to know who I am. I'm a child of the King. Help me to know that you have a plan. A destiny for my life. And as I keep pure and holy, that destiny will be fulfilled. Let your grace and your mercy and your strength empower me today. For greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. One step at a time. One temptation at a time. I will be victorious. Wrap your arms around me, God. Wrap your arms around me, God. Me in your arms. Come on. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Come on, raise your hands and say, Wrap me in your arms. 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 Take me to. Take me to that place, Lord, to that secret place where I can be with you. You can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Take me to that place. Take me to that place, Lord. Secret place where I can be with you. You can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Sing it, 
Josh. Take me to that place, Lord, to that secret place where I can be with you. You can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Come on, sing it again. Take me to that place. Take me to that place, Lord, to that secret place where I can be with you. You can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. The Lord is saying today, young lady, there's a place with your father, your Abba Father, your Daddy God, who loves you so much that if you have sinned in your life, if you have done something that you're embarrassed and ashamed of, come and bring it to the foot of the cross. And your Savior and your Lord will wipe away that sin. And He'll wrap His arms around you and He'll tell you you're His daughter that He loves you with an everlasting love and that He wants to restore your sense of peace. He wants to restore your sense of love and passion for Him. All you have to do is let Him wrap His arms around you today because He loves you with an everlasting love. If you're a father or mother, whoever you are, you say, Father, Father, I have sinned just like the prodigal son as you come home God will take off his royal garb and he'll place it on you and he'll tell you you're my son I have loved you with an everlasting love you were bound but now you're free you were blind but now you see you were lost but now you're found and God will all he will offer you grace and mercy and welcome you back into that place where there is freedom there is peace hallelujah I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you, in front of you, and I want you to just begin to pray for them, for God's grace and mercy in their life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord God, I thank you, God. Parents, I want you to put your hands on your children. Just wrap your arms around your children and tell them you love them. Tell them that God loves them. Father, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're going to raise up a new generation, God. You're going to raise up a Joshua generation, God. You're going to raise up a generation of men, young men, who will keep themselves pure and holy. You're going to raise up a generation of women, young women, who won't give in to the lies of the enemy, God. Lord, you're going you're gonna to pour out your spirit. Revival is going to fall upon our church, Lord God, because we love you more than we love our, our sexual passions in our life, Lord God. We love you more than the temptations of our life, God. And we want to see you, God. We want to see you in your power. We want to see you in your might, God. And you said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God, you come by the power of your spirit, God. Strengthen us to do your will in Jesus' name. And everyone said, how many believe God can keep us? Come on, give the Lord. Come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah. Pursue that place.